Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 16, the book of Judges chapter 16. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, there's something important to understand in the, 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 the life of Samson and in the timeline of Samson, because there are some Bible timelines that have his life range at 20 years to 80 years. You know, did he die at age 20? Did he die at age 80 or anywhere in between? And when you see timelines that are on the younger end of the scale, now it presents some improbabilities. Because remember in Judges 15, last week at the end, we see how Samson, he was a judge of Israel for 20 years. For 20 years. And so with the improbabilities of the younger timelines, you know, was, was Samson five months old and a judge of Israel? Was he, you know, a toddler and a judge of Israel? You see, when you see these younger time horizons, it, it, it presents some improbabilities. But when you look at the older end of the spectrum, say like 60 years old or 80 years old, at this older end, when you backtrack the years of the judges and overlay that to the exodus, you see more alignment, uh, alignment to the time horizons going back to the Exodus. And, you know, here in Judges 16, his parents, they're dead now. They're dead. And later on in this chapter in Judges 16, we're going to see the burial place of his dad. But what's so beautiful and what's so powerful is to consider the influence of mama and papa. I'm so in love with mama and papa because they were such a beautiful influence unto their son. And these are things that we're going to touch on in our study today. And there's something else that we have to consider and keep in mind. With the earlier judges in Judges 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, with the earlier judges, we see the land having rest for a period of years. You know, where you see like, you know, there's a judge and then the land had rest for 40 years or the land had rest for 80 years. And with the later judges, we don't see that. We don't see that type of rest anymore. We see the strong oppression and we see little pockets of respite, respite, either with people and or with time. And where you see, like in the earlier judges, you know, is there was the land had rest for 40 years or the land had rest for 80 years. You see it across the board, across the land. But sometimes you see these this rest. It's not for the entirety of Israel. Sometimes it's for tribes. Sometimes it's a smaller scale. Sometimes it's with certain individuals and not just in the book of Judges, but since we're in the book of Judges, you know, we mentioned the book of Judges. And it's something we see in history. It's something we're going to see in the last days as well. And it's why we speak heavily on formula. Because consider the rest that's in, say, Corinth. The rest that's in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Consider that type of rest that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, where we also see the leaven and the works of the flesh. 
Now, someone could say like, well, you know, I have rest. I'm, I'm in this church in Corinth and I have rest. But Chloe, did she have rest? Consider the anguish in, deep in her heart, deep in her soul. Consider that anguish when she sees the overflowing of the works of the flesh in Corinth. The sex, the drugs, the extortion, the alcohol. Well, not, not drugs, but well, when you consider pharmakia, you know. But the alcoholism that's mentioned in the church in Corinth. The extortion, the sex. Consider that anguish where, you know, the leaven could say, oh, yeah, I have rest. Oh, yeah, I like going to church. I have rest here. I'm with my friends and this is beautiful. And, and Paul says, listen, your rejoicing is not a good thing. Chloe didn't have rest in the church in Corinth. This is why we speak heavily on formula. But then consider the rest. If you were to trans take Chloe and transplant her to Philippi, consider the rest she would have there. Could she have rest? Yes, absolutely. She could safely submit to a pastor in Philippi. Could she do that in Corinth? No, because Chloe understood formula. Now, if you're listening for the first time, it's very important to have this understanding. Go back and listen to our studies through 1 Corinthians. And then 2 Corinthians, and then continue listening. Go back and listen because you'll understand. You know, when we look at, you know, problems that were in Corinth and problems that were in Philippi. Well, you know, the non-existent problems in Philippi. Still exhortation and still urgings of Paul writing to the churches. And we speak very heavily on formula because there is a reason for still waters. There is a reason for green pastures. And there's also a reason for no still waters and no green pastures. I mean, when you take Chloe and you have her in Corinth and consider the anguish of heart. And if you were to transplant her and put her in Philippi, where there's rejoicing and no anguish of heart. You see, the formula is right in Chloe. And so because the formula is right in Chloe, she can discern and understand that, wait, something's wrong in Corinth. And because the formula is right in Chloe, she can realize that Philippi, wow, this is like my church home. You see? But when the leaven speaks, oh, Chloe, you're so stupid. Come on. Why don't you want to get drunk with us? So what if I do my extortion? So what if I do my sex? Oh, why do you got to be such a downer? Come on, Chloe. Come hang out with us. And she couldn't. You see, they didn't understand formula. But Chloe understood formula. And that's why Paul, when he writes to the remnant, he says, okay, separate. He says, your rejoicing isn't good. Separate from the leaven. You see, because there's sin in the camp. So you look at Corinth and you say, well, wait a second. They're a church. Yes. But there's no still waters or green pastures. Now, it comes about because there's beautiful 2 Corinthians. It comes about. And the Lord addresses the problem using his vessels. Vessel Paul. And when we, we consider the writings of Paul, we, especially in Corinth, we cannot forget, never ever forget the other vessels, Chloe and those in her household. You see, 
There is a reason for still waters. There is a reason for green pastures. And it happens when you and me yield to the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit helps us yield to the Word of God. It's you and me who have to deny ourselves. Complete and total reliance on the Lord. And so we get this study about Samson. Here in verse 1, Judges chapter 16, verse 1, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Now, I wish, I wish we didn't see this here. I wish, but we do. And there's something about Samson's rush into things. Remember in our earlier study, his marriage, how he rushed in, you know, he sees the Philistine woman and he immediately wants to marry her. Remember mama and papa? When they were alive, well, you know, hey son, we got no women in, 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 in our tribe. We, are there no Danite women? There were Danites in the tribe of Dan. We, we got no women? Dan's got no women? We have, and if, you know, son, if, 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 if there are no Danite women, are there no women in Israel? We got 11 other tribes. Are there, are there no women? And even still, Samson is quick to rush into things. And, and, and here, when he rushes into things, it's not marriage. It's not marriage. What he does is he sees the prostitute. And he doesn't want to marry her. He wants something else. And I don't want to get graphic, but that's what happens. And I wish this wasn't here, but it is. And for me, I really, really, really miss Mama and Papa. I really miss Mama and Papa in the life of Samson. Because remember before when Samson, when he rushed into things, at least he got married. But now he has this, you know, this same uh, rushing into things. And now no mama and papa. And look what happens. I really miss mama and papa. I wish, you know, there are times when we study and I say this. But there are times when we study when I wish I could speak to all the pastors, pastors specifically and pastors only. And there's times when I wish I could speak to elders and deacons. And there's times I wish I could speak to ministry leaders, Bible teachers. There's times I wish I could speak to all the men, all the old people, all the women, all the kids, the little kids, little toddlers. There's times I wish I could speak to married couples college kids. And in this particular study, I wish I could speak to every single teenage boy in the faith. I wish. Because teenage boys, I mean, teenage girls too, but I wish I could speak to teenage boys with all desires, with all impulse. You take it to the Lord. You take it to the Lord. Look at the beautiful example we see in the beautiful, beautiful daughter 
of Jephthah. Remember? And she had her own desires. She wanted to be a mama. She had her own desires. And in complete and total submission to the Lord. You say, wait a second. If she wasn't in submission to the Lord, she was in submission to her dad. But remember, in her dad, the formula was right. You see? And she honors the Lord through the vow of her dad. And what does she do? Yes, she mourns. Because she has her desires. And she mourns. And her life, a complete and total sacrifice unto the Lord. And there are some kids, some boys. Remember, I wish I could speak to every single teenage boy. And sometimes I do have these conversations with teenage boys. Oh, I don't, I don't want an example in a female. Come on, we're men, we're guys. Come on, what, what can we learn from females? Listen, get that mentality out of your head. If that's you, your teenage boy, get that mentality out of your head. Because in Christ, there is no male, female. We could learn a lot from Chloe. We could learn a lot from the daughter of Jephthah. And with every single desire, every single impulse, we take it to the Lord. Born into Adam. Born into Adam. And there is a way unto the flesh. Born again into Christ. There is a way of conduct according to the Spirit. And these are things that we studied in our, you know, in the book of Hebrews. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study in Hebrews. Obedience is a learned thing. Because born into Adam, boys, teenage boys, you do have desires. You do have impulses. But if you handle it according to the ways of Adam, it's going to get worse. It's going to fester. And born into Adam, we're in these earth suits of ours for the time being. We take it all to Christ. And there is a way of conduct according to the Spirit. And I pray that all of my younger brothers have a godly influence in their parents. I pray. You're, you're for my, all my, you know, I wish I could speak to every single teenage boy in the faith. You might be 13. You might be preteen. You know, you might be 11, 12, 13. You might be 18, 19. You might be at the older end of the spectrum. But I wish I could speak to every single teenage boy in the faith. And yes, I do wish that every single one of you have godly influence in your parents. And even more so, godly influence in Papa. But today, the wave of culture is so strong these days that many dads are compromised. Many, many dads are compromised. Many pastors are compromised. Many youth pastors and youth leaders are compromised. And to my young brothers in the faith, you're a teenager, say you're 11, 12, 13, 14, you know, or 19, you're at the older end of the spectrum. And to every single one of my young brothers in Christ, if your dad is compromised, 
Pray for him. Pray for him. Show him grace. Show him mercy. But also understand that you have your own walk with the Lord. You have your own walk with the Lord. The same way your dad has his own walk with the Lord. And you have your own walk with the Lord and your growth can advance beyond those around you. This isn't something to be prideful about. Be very, very humble. But remember, growth happens. Remember our study in Hebrews? If you're a new listener, you know, I love you. But go back and listen to these studies. Because growth happens if the Lord permits, remember? And it happens on an individual basis. And some people don't mature because of their own arrested development and because of dads being compromised by their own passions and carnal desires. They're in a state of arrested development. And some teenagers, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14. And some teenagers don't understand that they're faith, their growth, their own maturity before the Lord can happen independent of dad, independent of mom. You see? And it's nothing to be prideful about. It's between you and the Lord. I know 15-year-olds who are far more mature than 80-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 50-year-olds. Now, it's not carnal. It's not, I mean, you know, carnally speaking, the 50-year-old is older than a a, a 15-year-old. But that's according to Adam. That's according to the flesh. According to the spirit and maturity in Christ. Sometimes you see 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, and they're on milk. You see? And so to my young brothers, I love you. Don't be prideful. If if your growth and maturity exceeds that of your parents, don't be prideful about that. Be very humble. Be lovers of humility. And understand that you can be the example of godliness in your own home. You see? I meant picture Chloe, where she couldn't fit in in Corinth. What if you're like Chloe in your own home? Because mama and papa, they want to be milk drinkers? Okay. It grieves my heart. It grieves your heart. But if they want to be milk drinkers, that's between them and the Lord. But as for you, my younger brothers, and also my younger sisters in Christ, with all humility... Show them grace. Show them mercy. And you can advance and become more mature. And just as Moses was sent back to Egypt, you're in your own home. And you could be the example of light in your own home. You see? And as for you, my young brothers and young sisters in Christ, Let us move on to perfection. Let us move on to perfection. And these are things that we're going to see in the life of Samson. In verse 1, Samson, he goes to Gaza. He sees the prostitute. 
and he does his business with her. I really miss Mama and Papa in the life of Samson. Notice what happens here in verse 2. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and they lay lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. Remember before? There was rest in the land with the earlier judges where there was rest in the land. In in, In the earlier chapters of the book of Judges, Israel had rest for 40 years. Israel, there was rest in the land for 80 years. But now we don't see rest in the land because the Gazites, they want Samson dead. And they were waiting for him. Let's lay and wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And we see in verse 2, they were quiet all night saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. You see? And in verse 3, and Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. He was strong. Samson was very strong. And the Gazites, they were going to kill him in the morning, but he got the jump and, and left at night. You see, he took the doors with him. Very interesting. No more doors. Very interesting what we see here. Doors, gone. And in verse 4, afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. And this word for love in the Hebrew also includes sexual affection. Samson had a problem with lust. Samson had a problem with lust. A lot of men today have problems with lust. I wish I could speak to all the men, but specifically and even more so to every single teenage boy, my beautiful brothers in Christ whom I love. Samson has a problem with lust. And so look what happens here in verse 4. Afterward, it happened that he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. You know what her name means? It translates as languishing or stagnation, no growth, to grow weak, to be not equal, or to be oppressed. That's what her name translates, Delilah. Very interesting what we see. Because oppression can absolutely impact a nation. And we see that in the earlier chapters in the book of Judges. We see how oppression can impact a nation. And don't forget, oppression happens for a reason. Israel does not have rest for a reason. The Lord became forgotten. That's why, remember? That's why. The Lord became forgotten and oppression came Oppression happened for a reason. Remember, the Lord, he disciplines, he chastises those whom he loves. And just as we see oppression, how it can impact a nation, oppression can also impact an individual. And it happens to the mighty Samson. With the lady that he chose to love. I mean, in verse 1, He didn't have to do his deed in verse 1. In verse verse 4, he didn't have to do that. 
But yet, it's something that he chose. Samson has a problem with lust. Samson sees, Samson likes, and Samson wants. And to all my brothers in Christ, and especially my younger brothers, the teenagers, I love you, I love you, I love you. When you have eyes to see, which is holy, how you interpret beauty will be like, it's, it's holy. It's not like anything that the world has to offer. And the Lord will show you. He will teach you about beauty according to how he sees beauty. But this requires patience. Patience is required to understand what beauty is. And patience is something Samson doesn't have. Patience is something a lot of Christians don't have. And because Samson doesn't have patience, we're going to see how it cost him dearly. And so here he is with Delilah, whose name means languishing, no growth, to grow weak, to be not equal, and to be oppressed. Very interesting. Good old Delilah. And in verse 5, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us, every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. 1,100 pieces of silver. What happens is Delilah agrees to the terms of the lords of the Philistines. She agrees to the terms. I really don't care what she looked like. I don't care. I imagine that she had a worldly beauty to her. A beauty as defined by the world. A beauty as defined by culture. But for me, I I could care less. I don't care what she looks like. But look at the ugliness of her heart. Look at the ugliness of her her heart. She's in relationship. She's in a relationship with Samson and also an active participant to bring him harm. Look at the ugliness of her heart. I meant to my young brothers, teenagers, even preteen. To my young brothers, I love you, I love you, I love you. But does this sound like an ideal relationship to you? Be straight up, be honest. Does this sound like an ideal relationship? And this Delilah, she probably had a worldly beauty to her. As defined by culture. But when you see her behaviors... When you see her choices, when you see her actions, you start to realize she's nasty. She's disgusting. She's gross. And to my young brothers, I love you, but hormones, they don't let you think straight. Hormones don't let you think straight. And you might not see a problem with it at all. But I'll say something. 
when a relationship does not align with the word of God and you're with the wrong female. I tell you with shame. It hurts. It hurts bad. I do have a lot of shame in my past. Past relationships. Where I would much rather be beat up by 50 guys with brass knuckles and baseball bats than to be hurt by the one I gave my heart to. And a lot of teenage boys are like Samson. I see, I like, I want. And for teenage boys, I get it. I get it. I understand it. But hormones kick in and the thinking can get altered. And you might be preteen and think, you know, like, you know, the, the, the problems of the flesh. It's like, well, you know, you, you can't relate to, you know, sexual sin. You might be 11 years old, 12 years old or 10 years old. And you hear guys, you hear men talk about sexual sin and you really don't get it because you're 10, 11, 12 and, you know, you're like, okay, the, the, my flesh is, you know, I get angry sometimes. You know, my mom tells me to take out the trash and I get angry sometimes because I want to play my video games. And you get mad. And so it's like, you know, the way you deal with your flesh is to exercise self-control and not get angry. Not get disturbed. Don't lash out. I mean, if, if your mom says take out the trash, you know what you do? You take out the trash. That, okay, mom, I'll take out the trash. Dad says, okay, clean your room. Okay, pops, I'll clean my room. Self-control is a gift of the Spirit, don't forget. Fruit of the Spirit. And you might be 11 years old and you're like, okay, you know, I have, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. I hear these guys talk about sex and, you know, no big deal. But then, boom, 13 years old and it's a whole new ball game. Because now the hormones are kicking in. And when that happens, thinking can get altered. And a big problem happens when young teenagers are not given proper guidance in holiness unto the Lord. Young teenagers become older teenagers who become men. And the problem of lust has been festering the whole time and getting worse. Manifesting itself in all kinds of sin. The strippers, the prostitutes, the pornography, the sex apps. They got their smartphones with the sex apps. And the problem festers into marriage. And what happens is that the old man is not reckoned dead. It happens. And then marriages get destroyed because of this little problem. You see? Lust. It destroys homes. It destroys families. It destroys generations. It destroys churches. It destroys fellowships. Lust. And to my young teenage brothers, if your thoughts are like Samson's, you know, I, I, I see, I like, I want. Let me tell you what to do. 
you give it to Jesus. You give it to Jesus. And I know like, you know, sometimes, you know, I have these conversations with young teenagers. And I've heard the counsel before where, you know, people say like, well, you know, they try to give you a guilt trip. You know, you, you, like a, a, some, a, a pastor or youth leader, they try to give you a guilt trip. You know, don't you know that she's someone's daughter? Don't you know that she's going to be someone's wife one day? And I get it. I'm not, I'm not in disagreement. You know, th- these are realities that, you know, if you objectify, objectify a, a female, that, that's a problem that will fester if it's not properly dealt with, if there's no proper guidance. And a lot of times you see like, you know, dads, you know, hey, son, don't you know that, you know, that's someone's daughter. She's going to be someone's wife today. Uh, one day she's going to be someone's wife. And pastors say it too. Youth leaders say it too. But you know what I say? Let's forget those things for the time being. What about Jesus? What about Jesus? Forget the lady. What about Jesus? Forget the lady, forget the girl, whatever. You know, if you're a teenager, you know, forget the girl. If you're, you know, older, forget the woman. Forget it. What about Jesus? What about you and Jesus? And what about your oneness with him? You and him, cheek to cheek. Remember our earlier studies? What about that? What about him? What about your love relationship with him? And what about the things that can negatively impact that? And not just in the area of lust and sexual sin, but with drugs, with alcohol, What about every single thing that can negatively impact your walk with the Lord and pull you away from him, attempt to pull you away from him? What about that? What about your love for Jesus? Drugs, alcohol, and women. Not all women. I don't want to paint all women. You know, like, you know, sometimes I have these conversations with a guy. Oh, you know, I'm having a problem with lust. And, uh, you know, this this harlot is in my life. And it's like, who, who, who where? Like, oh, that girl over there, that woman over there, she's a harlot. She didn't do anything. She's just, she's trying to, she's doing her job. The problem's not her. The problem's you and your sick, filthy mind. You call her a harlot, but she's, she's just doing her job. She's just walking. Oh, I have a problem with the harlot, you know. Oh, how dare you know. Get get behind me, Satan, the harlot. What? She's just a female. She's just, she's she's not doing anything. The problem is the sick, disgusting mind. You see? And so there is problems. The drugs can pull you away from the Lord. The alcohol, not can, will pull you away from the Lord. The alcohol will pull you away from the Lord. And I tell you these things from experience. And the women, they can pull you away from the Lord. Not all women. Some women are like Delilah. But some women are like Deborah. Remember Deborah? I'm in love with Deborah. She's so beautiful. Some are like Delilah. Some are like Deborah. 
But when you give these impulses to Jesus, you might be 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old. You give these in because now you have the hormones involved. You might be, you know, 10 years old and it's like your, your biggest problem is like, you know, I get angry, you know, and it's like, okay, why are you angry? Oh, my dad told me to take out the trash. Okay, that's nothing to be angry about. I know you know you want to play your video games. You got your stuff to do and dad says take out the trash. You know what you say? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll take out the trash. Mom says, take out the trash. You know what you say? You know, yes, ma'am. I'm taking out the trash right now because mama tells me to. Remember, obedience is a learned thing. You might be a little perturbed. Ten years old, I'm a little perturbed. I can't play my video games and I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to take out the trash. Papa says, take out the trash. I'm taking out the trash. Mama says, take out the trash. I'm taking out the trash. I'm a little perturbed. Because I don't want to take out the trash. It's cold out. You know, the driveway's like a mile long and I got to take the trash way out there, you know. But you do it anyways. Why? Because you are in discipline. You're in student mode. You see? And then you hear men talk about sexual sin. You hear it in our studies. I mean, if you've been listening for a while, you hear it in our studies. Warnings about sexual sin. You read it in the Bible. Warnings about sexual sin. Examples about sexual sin. And you're 10 years old. Eh, no big deal. I don't got to worry about that. Okay, for the time being. 11 years old. 12 years old. And boom, 13 years old like a ton of bricks. Why? The hormones are kicking in. I mean, it's the same for females too. I mean, for my beautiful young sisters in Christ, 10 years old, you got no, no issues, no problem. No, no hormones. I mean, the hormones are like, you know, they're coming. 11 years old, 12 years old, and boom, the hormones are there. And it's the same for male and female. You give it to the Lord. Give it to Jesus. He will teach you, he will show you, and he will reveal what is beautiful. According to what he sees as beautiful, not what the world, what the world sees as beautiful is cheap, it's disgusting, it's nasty, it's fake. It's gross, just straight up nasty. The covers of magazine, to my beautiful young sisters in Christ. You look at the mag, you go to the grocery store and you see the magazine covers like, wow, she's so beautiful. I don't look like that. Praise the Lord that you don't look like that. That's a freak show. Real beauty, the kind of beauty that never perishes. Real beauty is not beheld with by the carnal eye. Real beauty is holiness, godliness. Righteousness for both male and female, real beauty. And we find it in the word of, when the word of God and the Lord, he will show you. He will teach you. And then you're going to change. You're going to change. And I tell you from experience where it used to be, you know, I see, I like, I want. And as you change, it's I see, I like, I don't want. And then it's going to be I see, I don't like. 
And then it's going to be, I see. And then it's going to be, I see differently. And then, I see differently and I love. Except this kind of love is long-suffering. It happens when you become a fisher of men. Fishers of women. A fisher of souls. And this understanding requires guidance. From those who are uncompromised. Men who are un uncompromised. You see, to my younger brothers in Christ, I love you. I love you. My sisters too. I love you too. But I wish today I could speak to every single teenage boy. And to my young brothers, I love you. But most men today, they're compromised. They've done it to themselves. And if that's you, you're a teenage boy and dad is compromised, uncles are compromised, grand grandparents are compromised, cousins are compromised, pastors are compromised, youth leaders are compromised. Don't be discouraged. Let it start with you. Let holiness and righteousness start with you. I want to say something to the parents of teenage boys. Even, you know, teenage girls, parents of teenagers. Your children, they probably won't talk to you about these matters. They'll talk to you, you know, hey, mom, dad, I got a problem with anger. Okay, son, you know, let's talk. Well, you know, mom, dad, I don't like it, you know, when I'm playing my games and you tell me to take out the trash. I don't like it. I get angry. I mean, <laughs> a parent at that point can say, you know, tough, you know, deal with it. I say, take out the trash. You take out the trash. Sorry, son. You got to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, you know, we're <laughs> house of pain, you know, hello, house of pain, you know, so kids, you got to learn discipline. I love you, but you got to learn discipline. And kids will talk to you about, you know, I got anger issues or, you know, I'm sad. You know, they'll talk to you about that. But when it comes to sex, they probably will not utter a word to you about sex. 12 years old, 13 years old. Understand that your children, they absolutely, they can seek counsel but that formula where they seek counsel it better be right who they go to you see we stress formula for a reason even more so in these last days you see nowadays beautiful young souls they go to seek counsel they have you know, 13-year-old, 13-year-old boy, 13-year-old girl. And they dare not speak to mama and papa about their sexual passions. Sexual desires, the hormones are kicking in. And they dare not speak. 
to mom and dad. So what do they do? They go to youth leader. They go to the pastor. And you know what happens? They get defiled by wicked men. They get defiled by wicked men and parents are incensed. Rightfully so. But there is great harm with not understanding formula. Because picture a church where Paul is pastor. Picture a church where Timothy is co-pastor. And in this church where Paul is pastor and Timothy is co-pastor and James is an elder and John is an elder and Luke is an elder and Chloe is in youth ministry. Lydia is in a women's ministry. Do you know how safe it is for a 13-year-old boy to receive counsel from James? Do you know how beautiful and safe and holy? Do you, can you see how safe that is? A 13-year-old girl. Do you know how safe it is for that 13-year-old girl to go and speak to Chloe about sexual passions that she has? She's 13, she's 14, 15. Do you know how safe it is to go for her to go and seek counsel from Chloe? How safe it is for a 13-year-old boy to go and seek counsel from James? Remember, no, there's no sin. The sexual passions are there. The hormones have kicked in and the passions are there. There is no sin. There can be sin depending on how the 13-year-old boy, 13-year-old, depending on how they respond to that. It can lead to sin, absolutely. But when the passions and desires are there, there's no sin. Do you know how safe it is for that 13-year-old girl to speak to Chloe and receive counsel from Chloe? And how safe it is for the 13-year-old boy to receive counsel from James? And Chloe and James as ministry leaders, but they're under the covering of Paul. And together as one, they're under the covering of Jesus Christ, the real head pastor of the church. Do you know how safe that is? Where the 13-year-old boy, the 13-year-old girl, they would dare not speak to their parents. Dare not, they'll talk to their parents about being sad. They'll talk to their parents about being mad. Certain other things. But they will not speak to them about sex. And their passions mixed in with these hormones. Parents, understand, your kids probably won't talk to you about sexual, sexual things. They probably won't talk. You know, I say probably won't talk to you about sexual things. Part of me wants to say they just flat out, they won't talk to you about sexual things. 
But I can't make a blanket statement. You know, there might be a situation where they will, but probably not going to happen. The formula better be right. And where do they go to seek counsel? And when we speak of formula in a fellowship, when we speak of the full package pastor, remember our studies through the pastoral epistles, and we speak of not, not no package, not package one, not package two, not package three, full package. There's a reason for the full package. Say, for example, a 13-year-old girl goes and speaks to Paul. It's safe. A 13-year-old boy asks Chloe a question. It's safe. It's beautiful. It's holy. You see? But nowadays, when the formula is wrong, in a whole lot of churches, remember, judgment comes first to the church, and judgment comes first to the church for a reason, because of apostasy, a defection away from truth, wrong formula. And now you have 13-year-old girls, 13-year-old boys who dare not speak to their parents about sexual things. And they go and speak to their youth leaders. They go and speak to their pastors. And they become defiled. Because the pastor, wrong formula. The youth leader, wrong formula. To pastors and youth leaders, and I have to be very careful here, because when it comes to molestation, when it comes to rape, sexual sin upon a child, pastors and youth leaders, for me, I want to be the judge, I want to be the jury, and I want to be the executioner. I have to be very careful because I want to be judge, jury, and executioner. And yeah, you know, being the judge and jury is nice, but I really want to be the executioner. So I got to be careful. To pastors and youth leaders, do not bring any harm to God's flock. Do not. And if you do, you can stand by. They don't belong to you. They belong to the Lord. They belong to the Lord. Those aren't your sheep. Those aren't your lamb. No. They belong to Jesus, Son of the Most High. Very important. Parents. I mean, let me be straight up to parents. And you probably think, oh, you know, my son is an angel. My daughter is an angel. You know, they don't have any problems with, you know, sexual sin. You might think that way because they dare not speak to you about it. Once those hormones are there, who can you safely send them to? Be straight up. Who can you, you have a son, 13 year old, 12 years old. See, he's an early bloomer, 12 years old. 
Number one, he's not going to talk to you. And if there's a hint that he needs some help, can you safely send him to his youth pastor? Safely. Can you safely send him to his pastor? The one that you, parent, are submitting to? Can you? I mean, if you're in a fellowship where the formula is wrong and you know that you cannot submit to whoever the pastor is and you know, you know, we say jump ship, but we say it for a reason. Because your kids, I mean, there's you too, but if you're a parent, you have to factor in the children. The kids are going to need counsel. And sometimes they can get counsel from mom and dad. Sometimes, you know, hey, mom, I'm sad. Hey, dad, you know, I'm kind of mad. Oh, man, what are you mad about, son? I don't like how you tell me to take out the trash. Okay, that's good to hear, son. But let me tell you about something that's going to happen if you don't do take out the trash. Okay, pops, I, li I love to take out the trash. Whatever you say, pops, I love to take out the trash. Okay, now that we see eye to eye. But a kid will dare not speak to you about sex. And a lot of parents, they're hush-hush about sex because parents, it's a, it's, it's a very sensitive subject. And so what happens? The kids, they go to their teachers at school. They go to the counselors at school. They get it from their friends. What do I do in this situation? What do I do here? What do I do? What is this? What is this thing that's happening to my body? You know, what is all this stuff that's happening? And they receive counsel that is outside of the word. And a lot of parents, oh, go talk to the pastor. Oh, you know, hey, son, go talk to the youth leader. Hey, daughter, go talk to the youth leader. Listen, in the, wherever, wherever their source is, where they go for counsel, that formula better be right. Or else, parent, you're responsible for whatever happens. And a lot of parents don't like to hear that. But I'm just the messenger. If the, in these last days, if you're in a fellowship where the formula is right, do not leave. Do not leave. We're in the last days. It's going to get worse and worse and worse worse it's gonna get life-threatening in some areas of the world it's already life-threatening and so here in our study in judges 16 the lady that samson has chosen delilah she probably has a worldly beauty to her as defined by culture in the world and the ways of the world but she's nasty. She's disgusting. She's gross. She's ugly. She's conspiring against Samson. Remember, in verse 5, but you know, the, the Philistines. They, you know, we, we want to overpower Samson. We want to afflict him. We want to bind him. And she's on board. 
We'll give you some money. She's on board. She's an active participant against Samson. Don't forget, Samson, he's unequally yoked. He's unequally yoked. There were women in, in Dan. There were women in Israel. But oh no, Samson sees, he likes, he wants. At least in his earlier marriage, he sees, he likes, and he got married. Remember the council of mama and papa? Now he sees, he likes, and in verse 1, he takes. In verse 4, he sees, he likes, he takes again. Samson has a problem with lust. I really miss mama and papa in the life of Samson. So here in verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, remember she's on board with the, 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 the lords of the Philistines, and she says to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies. And with what you may be bound to afflict you. Wow, you know, she doesn't even hide it. She doesn't even hide it. She just wants to know straight up, you know, point blank. Hey, Samson, tell me where your strength lies. And, you know, tell me, you know, how can you be afflicted? To me, it says a lot about both her arrogance and Samson's arrogance. A presumed invincibility with Samson. Presumed invincibility with Samson. And Samson said to her in verse 7, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings. So she's already conspired against Samson. And now we see how the conspiracy deepens with action. And so she brought up the seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried. And she bound him with them. You see, it's not the lords of the Philistines that are doing the binding. No, she's doing it. She bound him. Some relationship, huh? Some relationship to my young teenage brothers. I love you. She probably had all kinds of beauty according to the ways of the Philistines, according to the ways of the world, according to the ways of culture. But she was nasty. She was ugly. She was gross. Look at her behaviors. Notice what happens here in verse 9. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. That's what, you know, it's, they were lying in wait to attack Samson. Look at verse nine, staying in her in the room. They were lying in wait. And sometimes, you know, we read the account of Samson without considering the real world examples and implications, you know, teenagers who are in relationships. Young men in relationships, like 17 years old in a relationship, 18 years old in a relationship, even 23 years old in a relationship. And a lot of times we read these accounts in the Bible and especially with Samson, but we don't take into account examples and implications of what we see in Delilah. Where, you know, the female says, you know, hey, Let's take our relationship to the next level. 
or you're together and she busts out some marijuana or she busts out some meth or she busts out a bottle of alcohol. Listen, don't dismiss it as nothing. When that happens, if that happens, and I pray it never happens, but if it happens, she's a Delilah. She's a Delilah introducing things that would lie in wait for you to bind you, to afflict you, to overpower you. And listen, I don't care what she looks like. She's ugly. She's disgusting. She is nasty. Hey, teenagers, you know, my young brothers, I love you. I love you. I love you. But if you're in a relationship with a Delilah, cut it off. Cut it off. Remember, our lives are to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. A sweet aroma unto the Lord. Cut it off. Delilahs won't help you. Delilahs will only hurt you. And with shame, with utmost shame, I hate saying it, but I tell you from experience, Delilahs are vessels of Satan. And there are many, don't forget, Samson, he was unequally yoked from the very get. Unequally yoked. I really miss mama and papa in the life of Samson. You see? And a lot of teenagers, young, young men in relationships, they're 16, 17, 18 years old. Oh, it's no big deal. I have it all under control. Listen, Samson, he thought the exact same thing. Let's look at in, in verse 9. You know, she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Oh, he's got it under control. Okay. Listen, do you think, do you, do you think Satan is going to stop in his attacks? Because he won't. He's relentless. Let's look at verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, you know, don't forget Satan. He can play the long game. He's patient. I mean, it's true. Like in a, in a boxing match, the knockout punches can come in round one. But they can also come in round two, three, four, five, six. Delilah, she's persistent. In verse 10, look, Delilah said to Samson, look, you have mocked me and told me lies. You know, Samson here at this point, he just could have said, I'm out. Delilah, we're done. See ya. He could have. He could have just cut it off right there. And remembered mama and papa, hey, you know, we got no women in Dan. The all Israel, we got no, we have no females. We're just, you know, a, a, you know, a, a camp of all male. Our tribe is all male. Samson, we, we got no women. And at this point, Samson could have said, okay, see ya, Delilah. We're done. Bye. But he didn't. He didn't. Remember, she has an agenda. She is aligned with the lords of the Philistines. She likes the money. And Samson, he's not thinking right. But 
when you look at the life of Samson, this not thinking right in the area of lust, it's been an ongoing issue with Samson. And so she says to him, look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now, please tell me what with, please tell me what you may be bound with. In verse 11, so he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore, Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them. Now she's doing the binding. She's doing the binding. You know, it's it's not like, you know, the, the Philistines were there. No, she is doing the binding because she's conspired against Samson. And she's aligned herself with the Philistines who want to kill him. And so she binds him and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, you see. She binds him. The enemy is there in the same room. And when he's tied up, they come out. And a lot of men in relationships, they don't consider the Delilah. Oh, look, I got my girlfriend. Oh, look at her. Look at her. Look at her. I remember talking to a young teenager about, you know, he was in a relationship and he was completely unequally yoked. And then he was in another relationship after that and he was unequally yoked again. And we're talking and listen, you know, didn't you learn the first time? Didn't you learn the first time around? And then he shows me his phone. Yeah, but look at her. You see, it's that tunnel vision. Look at her. Okay, so she looks like, you know, whatever she looks like. And so like the everything that we read in the Bible that can, you know, go by the wayside. Is that good? Is that permissible? Based on what a female looks like? Does that mean that everything we read in the Bible? Okay, let's just put that to the side. The same says goes for females too. Yeah, but look at him. He's so, he's so cute and all. Look at him. Okay, does that mean we take everything in the Bible and put that to the side to make way for your own carnal desires? Is that the right thing to do? Let me tell you something. It is not the right thing to do. And it is not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is our helper to help us Yield to the word of God. You see? Understand what's happening. When that happens in your life, to my young brothers, also to my young sisters, it's an attack. It's an attack. Oh, he's so cute. And he wants to take the relationship to the next level. And now he wants to do the sexual stuff. You see? And young teenagers, oh, I love him. I love him. I love him so much. And I want to take our relationship to the next level too. And you know, who do I talk to for counsel? You see, I can't talk to mom. I can't talk to dad because, oh, you know, it's, just, it's the sexual stuff. So I think I'm going to go and talk to the youth pastor. 
It's one thing to go and to, to, to talk to a James. It's one thing to go and talk to a Chloe, a youth leader like Chloe. It's one thing. That's beautiful. Because they will teach and they will guide in the ways of holiness. But if you go to a freak show where the formula isn't right, they will not guide in the ways of holiness. They will guide in the ways of wickedness because of the wickedness that's in them. Wrong formula. You see? And a lot of people in relationships, teenagers, male and female, Oh, he wants to take it to the next level. She wants to take it to the next level. And what happens? They buy into it. Don't forget, Satan is a fisherman too. And they get caught up in sin. Oh, it's just a little crack. She just, you know, she she reached in her backpack and pulled out some, some meth. We're going to do some lines. We're going to cook spoons. No big deal. Look, we've taken our relationship to the next level. You see? Just a little crack. We're just cooking spoons. No big deal. It's Delilah. It's Satan. And you're bound. You're tied up. You see? To my young brothers, to my young sisters, I love you. But there is a way to holiness. There is a way to holiness and it is found in the word of God. Only in the word of God. You have to be careful with where you seek counsel. And you might be in a home where oh, my, my dad's my best friend. My mom's my best friend. Oh, I'm friends with my mom. I'm friends with... You ever see that? You see adults, you know, if you're a teenager and you see adults and you see like, you know, a 40-year-old man, a 50-year-old man or a 40-year-old female, a 50-year-old lady and they dress like they're, you know, 15 years old. Stupid, they're freaks. Oh, I want to be my kid's best... I want to be my son's best friend. Mom's... Oh, I want to be my daughter's best friend. Oh, your kids need a parent. Your kids need godly parents. You see? Eli was a friend to his sons. Look what happened. Dead Eli, dead sons. You see? Parents? Be a parent. Be a mom. Be a dad. A godly mom. A godly dad. And you have a... You know, say you have a, 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 a early bloomer. 11 years old, 12 years old. He's blooming early. She's blooming early. And she needs counsel. He needs counsel. Son, go to James. It's safe. Go talk to James. Because parents understand your kids. They, they probably, I want to say they absolutely won't talk to you about sex. They might talk to you about sex. And, you know, you could talk to them about sex. But when it hits home and it comes to their own desires, their own passions. And you can say, son, go talk to James. Son, go talk to Timothy. Go talk to Paul. S uh, daughter, baby girl, go, go, go talk to Chloe. Baby girl, go talk to Phoebe. 
Baby girl, go talk to Lydia. Go talk to Priscilla, baby girl. And with confidence, you know, they're going to be guided properly in the ways of righteousness. And meanwhile, you can pray for, you know, pray for your kids. But you can safely know that your kids won't be defiled. But nowadays, because the formula is wrong, parents, oh, go talk to your youth pastor. Go talk to your youth leader. And what happens? You have the wicked youth leader that now rapes the daughter, rapes the son. You see? You think your kids are going to talk to you about that? When they're children and the youth pastor, the so-called youth pastor, threatens them, you know, if you tell your parents, I will kill you. If you tell your parents you're going to burn in hell and I will kill you. you. A 12-year-old girl hearing that? A 14-year-old boy hearing that? And then you come like the mental abuse. You get the physical abuse, yes. Then you get the mental abuse. Then parents, they're going to church. They got a big smile on, the, on their face on Sunday. They got a big smile on their face. And the daughters, you know, now she's going to the therapist. Now she's going to the psychotherapist. Now the, the boy is going to the psychiatrist and getting drugs. And now he's on his antidepressants. You know, baby girl's on her antidepressants, a whole cocktail, drug cocktail. And she's a mess. It's happening. It's happening. See, parents, be wise. Don't be stupid. Don't be idiots. Idiotes. People say, oh, I don't like how you say it. Okay, I'll do like Paul. Don't be idiotes. Where we get the word idiot. Don't be idiotes. I'll just do like Paul. Don't be idiotes. Train your children well. Train them in the ways of righteousness. And you're in a fellowship where the formula is right. Don't you dare leave. Because what happens, you know, you're going to need counsel. Kids are going to need counsel. And when they go to Chloe, it's, hey, it's safe. When they go to James, when they go to John, when they go to Paul, when they go to Phoebe and Lydia and Priscilla, it's so beautiful. A 12-year-old girl speaking with Chloe. Do you see how beautiful that is? That 12-year-old girl is well on her way to becoming a warrior, a deadly warrior in Christ by speaking to Chloe. The 12-year-old boy, the early bloomer 11-year-old boy speaking to Timothy, receiving counsel, opening up about sexual path. There's no sin. There's no, you know, for my young brothers, for my young sisters, sometimes you feel, oh, I'm in sin because I have these passions. Listen, it's not a sin. We're in these earth suits of ours. We have hormones. It's, it's how we're recreated. You're created with these hormones. You're created with these emotions. But there is a way of righteousness to how we deal with these things inside of us. We are created. The Lord doesn't make mistakes. It's how we were made.
When you go to Chloe, it's safe. When you go to Timothy, it's safe. And a lot of kids feel like, oh, you know, like, you know, a 12-year-old boy, like, oh, my goodness, I had this dream. And, like, like what in the world is happening? And, like, like am I going to burn in hell now? Listen. Seeking counsel from a Timothy. Seeking counsel from a Paul, a James, a Dr. Luke. It is so beautiful. Because by doing that, you're well on your way to becoming a warrior in Christ. Where before, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't have these passions before. You know, my my biggest problem was anger. And my anger was because I didn't like how my parents told me to take out the trash. But now mix in the hormones and boom, different ballgame. Because now there's a new facet to the battlefield. A new way of understanding self-control. And self-control with anger, self-control with sadness. As a, you know, five-year-olds can be sad. Eight-year-olds can be mad. But when they've learned self-control with anger, when they've learned self-control with sadness, when they've learned the self-control at a younger age, it buttresses the self-control that they're going to need when you mix in hormones at age 11, 12, 13. And if you're in a fellowship where the formula is right, baby girl can safely go to Chloe. Beautiful son can safely go to Timothy. And the equipping can be fine-tuned. Learning the ways of righteousness and becoming a warrior in Christ. You see? And a lot of people don't think this way. In the church. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. A lot of Christians don't think this way. Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? That's what I want to know. Where in the world are the pastors? Will the the pastors please stand? Where are the shepherds of the last days? Where are the Pauls? Where are the Timothys? Where are the Tituses? Where are the sons of Issachar in the last days? Where are they? see people read the 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 account of samson and delilah and they don't factor in all these the, the these things that need to be understood in the ways of righteousness to learn the ways of righteousness Delilah, she's doing the binding here in verse 12. And then she says, hey, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men are lying in wait, staying in the room. The men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Now, the loom is a device to weave fabric. And Samson tells her, that's how you, that's how you can bind me. That's what Samson, he, he tells her, that's how you. There's something else we see in Samson. 
He's fibbing. He's fibbing. And he's also deceiving himself in this relationship of his, in the gal that he's chosen, being led by the eyes. Remember, he likes, he sees, he wants. He likes, he sees, he wants. People just figure, well, you know, that, you know, boys will be boys. He likes, he sees, he wants. Boys will be boys. But it comes at a cost for Samson. It comes at a cost for us as well. Only the Lord can change hearts. The Lord can change a mind because he gives a new spirit. But you have to let him. He doesn't, you know, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear, I will come in. He doesn't kick the door down and barge in and, you know, you will be my subject. No, you got to let him in. And when you let him in, you let him in. Everything. No closets where you keep the dirty stuff. Hey, hey, Jesus, you know, have a seat over here where it's nice and comfortable. But don't you dare go open up that door. You know, that's, that's where I keep the filth. Don't you dare open up that door. Listen, you cannot call Jesus Lord if you do that. Because he's really not Lord if you do that. Because when he's Lord, he can do whatever he wants. He can open up any cabinet. He can open up any closet door. He can open up anything he wants because he's Lord. But you got to let him in. And so look, Samson says, you know, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, verse 14, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten of the web from the loom. Very interesting that this happens in his sleep. You see? He thinks it's safe. Oh, I'm going to go to sleep. He thinks it's nice and safe. And the one who's he's in relationship is the very one who's working against them, who has conspired against them. I don't care what she looks like. Because, you know, kids today, they think, wow, you know, I, I, I really scored with her. Girls think it too. I, I really scored with him. Oh, look, she's so gorgeous. Oh, look, he's so cute. Or I really scored. But when the Lord gives you a new set of eyes and a new heart and a new spirit, what the world defines as beauty, what the world defines as handsome. In the eyes of the Lord, you're going to realize that it's gross. It's disgusting. And you're going to see beauty for what beauty really is. You see? And so in verse 14, she wove it tightly in the batten of the loom and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten, the batten from the web of the loom. Verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. People these days, they like to play house. No marriage. But they like to play house and cohabitate in a relationship. Not married. 
play house. Oh, why don't you be my pretend wife? Okay, I'll be your pretend wife. You can be my pretend husband. They like to play house. Listen, if you're not married, don't live together. Married, live together. I mean, it's so simple. Not married, don't live together. Married, live together. See how easy it is? The problem comes when people want to play house. And someone might say, well, Samson did it. It's in the Bible. Look, Samson did it. Yeah, he did. He sure did all right. At a great cost. At a great cost. And it came to pass in verse 16, when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him. So remember, nagging? Remember we studied nagging a couple weeks ago? Nagging comes in all shapes and sizes from both believer and non-believer. This is nothing new to Samson. Remember the previous nagging he received several chapters with his marriage before his wife was killed? He's been on the receiving end of nagging before. You think he would have learned before when he had the mentality, you know, I see, I like, I want. You think he would have learned. Again, I really miss the influence of mama and papa. I really miss them in the life of Samson. And so she's pestering him daily with the words and pressed him in verse 16 so that his soul was vexed to death. You see, nagging is universal. The effect of nagging is universal as well. Believer or non-believer, it's universal. But with the believer, the believer is equipped. You see? Now, whether or not the believer uses that equipping, that's a choice. That's on him or her. Because believers can nag. You see? But with the equipping, the believer doesn't have to nag. It's a choice. I mean, if someone is equipped to fight with a sword, okay, he or she receives training and here's your sword, okay. But whether or not that person uses the sword, that's a choice. You see? That's why we say nagging is universal. Non-believer and believer, they nag. But the believer has an equipping to understand whether or not that is used. Okay, that's between them and the Lord. And so he's vexed to death. His soul is vexed to death. You see, you think he would have learned. You think he would have learned from his prior choices. But here he gets, again, vexed to death. In verse 17, he was so vexed to death in verse 17 that he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. Remember the instruction given to mama and papa before Samson was conceived? She was barren and the Lord blessed her with a son. And he was a judge to Israel. 
I mean, we saw last week when we, we ended our, our study in chapter 15 that he judged Israel for 20 years. But let's say he lived 60 years or 80 years. Where was this 20-year period? Was it age 20 to 40? 30 to 50? 40 to 60? 60 to 80? Where was this 20-year period? And so Samson, now he reveals He's vexed to death. His soul is vexed to death through her constant pestering. And he says in verse 17, I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, if I am shaven, then my strength will leave and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And now comes the fullness the betrayal. And in verse 18, we see this fullness of betrayal. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the Lord of the, the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. You see? Good trade, huh? Money for Samson. You give us Samson, we'll give you money. She liked the trade. You see? It's something we also see in Delilah. She likes, or she sees, she likes, she wants. What was it? Money. Money. Samson was unequally yoked from the get. Man, I wish I could speak to all my teenage brothers. In Christ. Even the the early bloomers. 10, 11, 12. I wish I could speak to all the teenage boys. And the early bloomers. Because yes, the world has an idea of what beauty is. They have a concept. The world has a concept of what beauty is. And if you mix that concept of what the world defines as beauty with emotions, with hormones, all kinds of mess ensues where you're 13 years old and the passions get worse. You're 14, 15 and the passions get worse. 16, 17, the passions get worse. 18, 19, 20, and the passions get worse. Now you're no longer a teenager. Now you're a young adult. 23, 24, 25, 26, and the passions are getting worse because you were never taught. You see? Then you get married. Wife has an idea of what Prince Charming is without realizing that she married an inferno because now all kinds of sexual sin are now introduced to her. Then they have kids and the home is defiled. Husband does his pornography. Husband does the strippers and goes to the prostitutes. Because he was never taught on sexual sin. Never taught about lust. You see? 
Wife goes to the pastor. Hey, wife, it's your fault. You're a little chubby. Look, you got the love handles now. You don't look like you did when you guys were dating. It's your fault, wife. You got to go to the gym. You got to work out. You got to get rid of the love handles. You got to wear your makeup. You got to dress like this. And you got to please your husband and go submit to your husband. It's your fault that your husband's a freak show. That's what the pastors tell them. And marriages are destroyed. You see? You wrap all these things with false doctrine. And the pastor says, hey, wife, it's your fault because you're chubby now. Hey, wife, it's your fault because you're getting old and wrinkly. Hey, wife, it's your fault because you were in a car accident. You're, you're missing your legs now and you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. It's your fault because, you know, your husband thinks you're ugly now. It's your fault, wife, that somebody, you know, sideswiped you on the street. It's your fault, wife. You mix the you mix the human experience with false doctrine. It's only a matter of time before destruction comes. It's only a matter of time. Where wife was an eight-year-old girl dreaming about Prince Charming. Ten-year-old girl dreaming about Prince Charming, her future husband. And now her marriage is like a prison where she's emotionally abused, physically abused. Wives who are raped by their husbands. Uh, wife, you got to submit to me. So, you know, hey, I'll be home at eight and, you know, we're going to handle business. You got to submit. Wives raped by their own husbands. Endorsed by the pastor. Judgment comes first to the house of God. That's what the Bible says. And it shouldn't be a surprise. Because what do we see in the church today? A whole lot of mess. A whole lot of apostasy. A whole lot of wrong formula. And it's only getting worse. Again, if you're in a fellowship and the formula is right, don't leave. Rejoice. And so Samson, now he's betrayed. Now he's betrayed. The fullness of betrayal. In verse 19, then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. You see? To my young brothers, I love you. Where you lay your head matters. Where you lay your head matters. And I tell you this with shame. But I tell you from experience. Where you lay your head matters. You can prevent a whole lot of hurt. By learning what the Lord teaches us through his word, you can prevent a whole lot of hurt. I mean, you hear women, you know, oh, men are pigs, men are pigs. And I get that. Many men are. But women can be worse. 
Women also, they see, they like, they want. And sometimes guys think, well, you know, you know, she likes this, you know, she wants me, you know, I still got it, you know. No, that's satanic. That's foolishness. Understand what's happening. It's Satan. It's an attack. Because you see, they got, oh, look, I still got it, you know. Oh, look, you know, she winked at me. I still got it, you know. That's pride. That's arrogance. That is the way of the fool. It is the way of the wicked. It's an attack. Understand, in the Old Testament, entry into the promised land was not without warfare. Not without combat. Our entry into the promised land is also not without warfare and combat, fierce combat. And our promised land, it's paradise. Understand that part of our equipping is a new set of eyes. Eyes to see what real beauty is according to the word of God. And this takes time. This takes time. 13-year-olds, 13-year-olds, you have an understanding. But understanding can become deeper. You know, both male and female. Early bloomers, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old. You do have a level of understanding. You know, ten year, there, there are 10-year-olds who have a firm understanding of certain truths. But then, boom, you hit 13 and they, uh, the hormones kick in and this and that. It, it, this understanding takes on new meaning. And understanding can become deeper. And your relationship with Jesus. Cheek to cheek, remember? Your oneness with him can go stronger. Satan, he does not want that to happen. And so what does he do? He sends the Delilahs to you. For the females, he sends the Delilos. <laughs> he sends the guy, you know, the, the cute guy. You see? But we're warriors. 11-year-old? Warrior. 13-year-old? Warrior. You see? And you understand it's like, you know, if you're young and you have these emotions and the the hormones are kicking in and and you don't know what to do, you dare not speak to mama and papa because, you know, it's, it's a subject that kids don't like to talk to their parents about. You find the Chloe. You pray for the Chloe. You pray for the Timothy. Pray for the Paul. Pray for the James. Pray for the Priscilla. Because they will help you. They will guide you. They will teach you. They will help you. They will comfort you. It's not a sin. Listen. These, you know, with the, 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 the uh, hormones kick in and a lot of kids are frightened. They get scared. It's like, well, am I in sin? 
you know, I, I, this, you know, I didn't, I never used to think this way. You know, I'm 12 years old and I never used to think this way. And now I'm almost 13 and now I think this way. And it's like, am I going to burn in hell? Is this evil? Listen, no, God doesn't make mistakes. It's how we were created. But we need guidance. We need guidance to understand. Chloe can help you. Paul can help you. And you seek counsel. Remember James, you know, is anyone sick among you? Go to the elders. It's so beautiful that when there's sickness in a church or when there's help, a need in the church for just guidance and counsel, go to the elders. See, the Lord, he does, the church, there is, remember the, the, the church example we gave where Jesus is the head pastor, of course, that's a gimme. Paul is the pastor, Timothy is co-pastor. But then you have in this ministry, you have Chloe, she's a youth leader. You know, Priscilla, she's a, 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 a teacher. She's a women's ministry. You see, you have Titus, he's an elder. James, he's an elder. A 12-year-old, 13-year-old can absolutely, you know, it's safe to go to Chloe. It's safe to go to James. Say, James, you know, I had this dream last night. I don't know what's happening. I had this dream and this happened and just terrified. James, am I going to go to hell? Is this evil? Listen, this is how we were created. These emotions, these hormones, it's beautiful. The Lord doesn't make mistakes. It's beautiful, but it has to be channeled in a manner that is holy. Let me teach you. Let me show you. You see? Where James can say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Let's pray. You see, we're a young girl. You know, I, I have these, you know, these new thoughts. I never thought this way. I used to like, you know, do hopscotch, you know, and I used to like playing, you know, hopscotch. And now my brain, my mind is going elsewhere and I'm noticing things. And Chloe, am I in sin? Chloe, is this a sin? Am I going to burn in hell? No, Chloe can tell her, no, this is beautiful. This is how we were made. This is how the Lord made us. But those have to be channeled in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And in both cases, the young girl, the young boy, they get sharpened by the iron of Chloe. They get sharpened by the iron of James, you see? And the Lord is honored. The Lord is honored. You see? And now the 12-year-old, the 13-year-old, this equipping, now they can learn more. they 14. They can learn more being equipped. 15, they can learn more being equipped. 15, 16, 17, they can learn more and be equipped. 
you see? Relationship with Jesus grows stronger. But in a fellowship where the formula is wrong, there are no Chloe's. There are no James, Jameses. There are no Pauls. There are no Priscilla's. There are no Timothy's. There are no Phoebe's. You see? And today the church takes a lot of casualties among teenagers. And more casualties when teenagers become adults. And then these adults, because this thing called lust, it never gets addressed. Pastors don't like to teach on it. Oh, men will be men. Oh, it's okay to look, but don't touch. Pastors who have no business at the pulpit. And now the young adult gets married. Now you have marriages that are I want to say doomed to fail, but there's always hope. But it's not off to the right start. Because holiness was never taught. Holiness was never understood. You see? But I speak to the remnant. Not so with the remnant. The remnant, different ballgame. To my young brothers in Christ, I love you. To my young sisters in Christ, I love you. Let us together learn patience. Patience. Because with patience, you might be 12 years old. You know what you can learn with patience? I mean, 12 years, 13 year old, 14, a whole lot can be learned. Let us learn patience. And so, here in verse 19, she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks on his head. Remember, Samson just revealed. Then she began to torment him. Translates in the Hebrew as torment, hurt and afflict him. And his strength left him. His strength left him. Mighty Samson. And his strength is gone. And she said, <clears throat> in verse 20, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. For me, this is one of the saddest parts of the Bible. Samson didn't know. In verse 19, his strength left. In verse 20, the Lord left. And Samson didn't know. Picture that shock. Picture that shock. Of just thinking, you know what? Piece of cake. I got this under control. You know, here I am. I'm bound. Or here I am and no big deal. I shake myself free just like before. No big deal. But then that sudden realization of being powerless. Samson didn't know. The Lord left. The Lord departed. 
Now look what happens in verse 21. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. No more eyes. No more eyes. And to my Jewish friends, I love you. An eye for an eye has limitations. Samson has no more eyes. Eye for eye. Limitations. Remember earlier in the chapter? No more doors to those with ears. My rabbi friends whom I love. In verse 21, and Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. Mighty Samson. Mighty Samson. Mighty no more. Um, I, I really miss his mom and dad. I really miss mama and papa for Samson. And here in verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now, there was strength with his hair. He was a Nazarite to God from before conception. Remember the, the blueprints given to Mama and Papa were actually Mama and Mama told Papa or Mama told her husband. And so from before conception, the Lord gave blueprints. But let me ask you a question. How does hair grow? How does hair grow? It takes time. It takes time. How much hair can grow in three years? What else can happen in three years? Maturity. Look at Corinth. And look at Philippi. Look at three years in Corinth. And look at three years in Philippi. Look at three years in Corinth with defunct teachers. And look at three years in Philippi with full package teachers. You see? A lot of growth can happen in three years. Just like with hair. A lot of growth can happen in three years. But also understand... It can come crashing down with one bad choice, especially in the area of sexual sin. With Samson, I can't tell you how much I miss Mama and Papa in his life. In verse 23, now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. Notice, they rejoice in Dagon, but it's based on what they presume to have happened. And they're giving kudos to Dagon. But what they don't understand is formula. Do you remember the Israel under the leadership of Joshua? They were victorious. They fought valiantly. They were victorious in warfare. The formula became wrong with Achan and they took casualties. But then that was addressed and then there was victory again. Remember our study in Joshua? 
And in these last days, the same thing is going to happen where the non-believers, they're going to mock Christians and it's already happening, but they mock Christians and the church and they rejoice to their gods who they presume to be more real and more powerful. Just like you see the Philistines are doing to Dagon, who is their God. And in the last days, the non-believers, they base their decision on what they see, not on what they understand. Because they can look at the church and be like, there's no power here. They can look at a Christian and be like, there's no power here. And to a certain degree, they might be right. And to a certain degree, they are right. There is no power. There is a formula for power. It's why we say, store your oil. And it's going to happen in the last days where saints will run out of oil and lamps will burn out. It's called apostasy. A defection away from truth. And when that happens, the non-believer, they absolutely see a powerless church. They absolutely see a powerless Christian. And they will rejoice in their gods. They will say the Bible is fake. God is fake. Jesus is fake. And they will say that. And they will have their hour. But they don't understand what's happening. They they do not understand that the church has lost its flavor. The church is turning apostate. They don't understand that the formula is very wrong. But not so with the remnant. And just like here with the Philistines, they're rejoicing in Dagon and they're offering great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And they say in verse 23, our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. But the Lord departed Samson for a reason and has nothing to do with Dagon. Who is Dagon? Dagon's nothing. To the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the Lord. Dagon's nothing. And yet the people, the Philistines, they're rejoicing to Dagon because of what they think has happened. But they don't realize, no, the Lord left for a reason. The Philistines don't understand formula. And so now they're rejoicing and they're saying, our God has delivered into our hands, Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God for they said, our God has delivered into our hands, our enemy the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. You see, they don't don't understand what has happened. In verse 25, so it happened when their hearts were married that they said, and they said, call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. Samson was reduced to a sideshow. Of mockery so that they could laugh 
non-believers, they laugh at Christians today. They mock Christians today. The church has become a sideshow. And it hurts. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like that the church has become a sideshow. But what do you expect in the ways of Adam? When you turn on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly, and you see a guy standing at the pulpit, walking around on the stage, and he takes off his coat and flails it at the air, and you see the first 10 rows, they all fall down. And then they make fun of what they see on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. And they attribute that to all of Christianity. And then they think you're stupid. But what they don't understand is, you know, what they see on Tricking Believers Nightly is not biblical Christianity. They don't understand that what they see on Tricking Believers Nightly with the guy who's waving his coat around or the guy who says, you know, let's go grave soaking. They don't, the non-believer doesn't understand, hey, the Lord's not with them. They don't understand. And so when they make fun of you and they say, you're a Christian, you believe what, you know, you wave your coat and the guy falls down and the first 10 rows fall and you believe what this crazy guy says about going grave soaking and you believe that and they make fun of you. But what they don't realize is that the Lord is not with them. The Lord is not with the coat waver. The Lord is not with the grave soaker. They don't understand that the Lord, he's with you. They don't understand the concept of formula. And it's right in you. It's wrong in what they see on Tricking Believers Nightly. You see? And so Samson here is reduced to a sideshow. And they station him between the pillars. Verse 26. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand. Remember, he's blind. No more eyes to see. In verse 26. Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. I want to. I want to say something. When we look at, not to the, to the backslidden, the backslidden person, remember Samson. Samson here, he leans on these support pillars. And so look at verse 27. The temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof. They're on the roof watching while Samson performed. They were on the roof, watching Samson perform, and Samson just so happens to be at the support pillars. And to the backslidden person, the one who once walked with Jesus, but walks with him no more. Now, the gap of time It might be a couple months. It might be a couple years. It might even be a couple decades. 
and I love you too. But remember Samson. He lost his eyes, yes. But he remembers the Lord. And I say to you right here, right now, point blank, to the backslidden. Might be two months, it might be two decades. Come home to Jesus. Come home to Jesus. God loves you. I don't care whatever, whatever kind of mess, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, prostitution, male, female. Listen, I don't care about that stuff. I care about your soul. Come home to Jesus. And you hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you right here, right now, point blank, commit your life to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen. We grow together. We mature together onward to paradise because that's where we're going. And along the way, we're going to fight. But we're going to fight the good fight. The good fight. With new hearts, with new minds, with new spirits. The old man reckoned dead. The old woman reckoned dead. Look what Samson does. Look what he says here in verse 28. Samson, he calls out to the Lord. And Samson calls out to the Lord, saying, Oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, oh God. Just this once. That I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. <laughs> you think, you know, <laughs> you think, like, for the harm caused to Israel, for the harm caused, to, you know, because you're oppressors of the land, but <laughs> for my two eyes. <laughs> I'm so in love with. I'm so in love with Mama and Papa of Samson. And, you know, for, with Samson too. I'm in love with Samson too. And praise be to the Lord that at the very end, he cries out to the Lord. At the very end. And that's why I call out to the backslidden. To the one who's estranged from Christ. No longer walking with the Lord. No longer walking with Jesus. It might be for two months. It might be for two years. It might be for two decades. It might be for 50 years. No longer walking with Jesus. And it's not too late. The door is still open. It's not too late. And I've talked to these people before where they tell me, you know, I used to be a Christian. But my sin is too great. That's what they say. My sin is too great. The Lord won't take me. He 
me. He'll take you. He'll take you. Nothing can ever separate you from God's love. But he doesn't make robots. You see? My sin is too great. I've heard it before many times. My sin is too great. God won't take me. Look at the sex. Look at the drugs. Look at the prostitute. I'm a stripper now. I'm a prostitute now. I do this now. I do that now. I'm on my fifth marriage. God will take you. I'll take you. Welcome aboard. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do so. And you commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen. And just like Samson, yeah, he blew it. He blew it big time. But he remembered the Lord. Before it was too late, and he called out to the Lord, and he says in verse 28, Oh, Lord, God, remember me. I pray, strengthen me. I pray just this once, O oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. <laughs> for my two eyes. Ah, oh, Samson. <laughs> Nothing can separate you from the love of God. You do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol. That's nice. Those days are over. You come to Christ. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Welcome aboard. New creation in Christ. You can have that. Paradise. You can have paradise. But there are blueprints. And that's what we follow. The way is narrow. It's not impossible. But it is narrow. Look what happens here in verse 29. Samson And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them. One on his right and the other on his left. Remember what's happening. On the roof, the lords of the Philistine, these are like the... The heads, you know, the 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 big wigs of the Philistines. It's like they're they're having a a, a, a fiesta. And three thousand men went. They're on the roof, and Samson he's at the support pillars. That the pillars which support the temple. Remember verse twenty six. And so now he's cried out to the Lord. He's at the support pillars. In verse 30, then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. You see, the final battle for Samson, the final battle. In verse 31, and his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father, Manoah. He judged Israel 20 years. 
in the life of Samson. In the life of Samson. Never, ever, ever, ever forget the Lord and the Lord's faithfulness, but also never, ever, ever forget the beautiful, beautiful influence of Mama and Papa to their son. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.